Welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Powell Butte in uh, beautiful central Oregon. Spring is finally, I think, uh, hit. Um, we keep getting uh, little bouts of snow here and there, but then it clears up, and it's a beautiful day today. Um, today's Sunday, April 16, and I'm getting ready to preach this sermon to our congregation at our 8.30, 10.30, and 11.30 services. So again, if you are ever in our area, love to have you swing in and tell us you're listening to us on the podcast and, and uh, then be a part of what we're doing here. There is a news article that I hope is true. I hope it's true. Well, I, I always try to do my research on these things, and I, I couldn't find necessarily any corroboration from any AP or, or, or any news uh, organizations that were like national news. But it did come from the archives of the Landover Baptist Newsletter in Landover, Maryland. It's, uh, it reads, August 1999, Landover, Maryland. And it goes, A hundred years of Christian fellowship, unity, and community outreach ended last Tuesday in an act of congregational discord. The Holy Creek Baptist Church was split into multiple factions. The source of dissension is a piano bench, which still sits behind the 1923 Steinway piano to the left of the pulpit. Mem- members and friends at Holy Creek Baptist say that that old bench was always a source of hostility and people should have seen this coming. Now, this reads almost like the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you've ever seen the Babylon Bee. It's a Christian um, uh, parody or satire site. And this could be satire. I don't, I don't know. If this story is true, apparently there's this bench that's been sitting beside a piano on the stage at the Holy Creek Baptist Church for years. But mind you, apparently it's been never it's not been used in a long, long time. And some of the members of the church wanted to get rid of it, and some wanted to move it to a different place, and some wanted to leave it right where it was. And the church literally split over a piano bench. Now again, if this is not true, I know of stories really close to this, almost the same as this, by the way. Uh, And that's tragic. Here's the ending of the article. At present, the Holy Creek congregation will have four services every Sunday. Each faction will have its own separate service with its own pastor. The service times are far enough apart that neither group will have to come into contact with the other, and an outside party will be moving the piano bench to different locations and appropriate positions between services so as to please both sides and avoid any further conflict that could result in violence. Now, again, again, if, if, if this is true, I would say that these folks, this church, has lost its focus. Uh, but even if it is a tall tale, again, there have, over the centuries, been as equally as ridiculous uh, concerns about churches that get into problems when they lose sight of their purpose. It's scary how easy it is for people to lose their focus, whether it's in their church life or their work life or their school life. Uh, I, I sure had a hard time in school getting through because my lack of focus. Some of you know that in the corporate world, there's a tendency to take our eyes off of what is most important And that can affect the the productivity of that corporation. People forget what the big picture is. And when that happens, when they forget the big picture, they will turn inward. They will start comparing. They will start complaining. And so, you know, you have all of these conferences and management seminars in the business world trying to keep people focused on the mission. Now, there's a book to this end, by the way. Uh, I I sit on the board of the Pregnancy Resource Centers of Central Oregon, and our chairman gave us all recently a book for us to read. The book is called Mission Drift by Peter Greer and Chris Horst. 
One of the foundational ideas of this book is illustrated perfectly through this illustration that the authors give. Um, They say, consider this mission of a well-known university. Quote, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, end quote. They go on to say, founded in 1636, this university employed exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and rooted all its policies and practices in a Christian worldview. This school served as a bastion of academic excellence and Christian distinction. The, uh, the name of that school, by the way, is Harvard University, which now has a totally different mission than what its charter mission was. So the point of the book is to explore why organizations like Harvard University or uh, like the YMCA, which began as a, a place for men to do Bible study and then physical fitness. And now it's just all about physical fitness. And they dropped the C out of YMCA. In fact, they, they dropped all of the letters except for the Y anymore. But the, so the point of the book is to explore why those kinds of organizations that began as a Christian organization eventually wind up drifting from their original mission, their original goal, and sometimes even land in direct opposition to what their mission used to be. The authors believe that without making intentional choices, faith-based organizations can easily drift from their founding mission, never to return back to their roots. But, you know, Harvard and YMC did not drift off course overnight. No, the drift happens in very small, subtle ways. But those ways, if left unchecked, they will become huge obstacles, preventing this organization from getting to where they wanted to get to in the first place. Now, it's the same way in our faith, because we as individuals can also experience mission drift. You know, it seems like the principles that Jesus taught throughout his ministry, about the kingdom of God, that those are the goals that we followers of Jesus should be striving for, right? Goals that should define the followers of Jesus. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we need to be defined by the actions of following Jesus and adhering to his teachings. Not where we put a piano bench, right? But unless we make intentional choices at every step of our journey towards that goal, we run the risk of making those kinds of decisions, losing focus and experiencing mission drift and focusing in on entirely the wrong thing. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as you get the prize. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of keeping your focus as a disciple, to run your race of faith with your eyes on the finish line. In his letter, he mentions those who had been one time in the church, but then had shipwrecked their faith by shifting their focus and letting their mission drift. So this morning, I want us to see a portrait of what that looks like with actual disciples of Jesus. Now, these two guys that we're going to read about in Luke chapter 24, they're not part of the inner circle, part of the 12. But they have been with Jesus. They have followed Jesus. They have heard Jesus. And they were there recently in Jerusalem there during his last week of his life before his crucifixion. Now, only one is named because names are not important, because they really could be you and I. What's more important is their condition, because this is a condition that you and I could share if we're not if we're not careful. These guys are in a bad spot. Their faith has been shaken, and what they're doing does not seem to be helping in keeping their focus where it should be. 
I want to read the first part of the story in verses 13 through 24. It says, on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven, eight miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, downcast. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, what concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mightily in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So now let's let's, uh, talk about these guys. What's going on? Well, first of all, their their path is confusing because they're not going anywhere with any kind of purpose. They're headed to Emmaus, this little town called Little Dome in Arabic. That's what Emmaus means. It's it's on the West Bank hillside, again, northwest, about seven, eight miles northwest of the modern boundaries of Jerusalem. By the way, this is not where they were supposed to be. They're not, they're not where they're supposed to be. Because in Matthew and Mark's gospel, we see that the angels had told the woman who had come to the tomb, when they found it empty, they said, go quickly and tell his disciples. This is Matthew chapter 28. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. <coughs> there you will see him. Well, the disciples, these two guys are not in Galilee. They're on their way to Emmaus. The disciples aren't in Galilee. They're huddled together in fear, in confusion, dazed and confused, in in Jerusalem still. Nobody's thinking clearly. Nobody's where they're supposed to be. These guys have really drifted. Not only are they in Emmaus, but they're away from the other disciples. Now, why, why go to Emmaus? We don't know. We're not told. Maybe they had business to attend there. Well, if they did, it wasn't pressing because as soon as all of these events play out, it says at that same hour, at night, right after dinner, they hightail it back to Jerusalem where the apostles are. So if they had business, it wasn't pressing. Maybe they were just headed home. Maybe they were going back to their old way of life because Jesus was dead and gone. And now they're confused because the body is not even in the tomb. Sure seems like they, they've got a place to stay there in Emmaus. That they've gone to this house. They've eaten dinner there. They're going to plan to spend the night there. So maybe this is home and maybe they've just drifted home where it's safe. So we don't know. But the point is, is that their journey seems pointless, purposeless. Their movements, their, their decisions seem to have no aim at all, no joy, no excitement. It's like they're, they're moving through a fog. Now, maybe that's an accurate description of where you are today in your connection with God, in your spiritual life. You, you, you know what it's supposed to be about. You're, you're here most Sundays, and you're, you're, you're listening to the Word, and you're trying to figure things out. You, you were in, all in at one point. 
You wanted to be a follower of Jesus because he loved you so much that he died for you and saved you. But now, as time has gone on, things get a little foggy. And if you were honest, if you looked at your Christian life right now, there doesn't seem to be a purpose. Uh, you are so distracted by all these these other things in the world. And if you were honest, you would say that right now you're kind of aimless. Maybe, maybe you're headed to Emmaus, right? In a metaphorical sense. Mission drift will lead you to Emmaus. Kind of aimless, spinning your wheels, doing things, but nothing of real significance. But mission drift will also lead, if you see here, to a, a loss of joy. These guys had their faces downcast. They were sad. They were depressed. And in a way, I don't blame them because, again, they had lost their hope. They had wanted to see a kingdom established. But now Jesus was gone and the body had disappeared. Uh, I, I know that having something that you've anticipated strongly suddenly taken away from you, that can lead to depression. That can lead to sadness. It could lead to a pity party. So I get it on one end, on one hand. But on the other hand, I, again, like we looked at last week, Jesus had told them, guys, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead again three days later. And, and by the way, they understand what has been reported. They even report it back to this quote-unquote stranger <laughs> that they're talking with. They they tell them that some women had gone to the tomb and they didn't find the body and they saw a vision of angels who told them that Jesus was alive and some of their own company went and saw the tomb empty. So it should have been clear. I mean, it seems pretty clear to them. should have been clear. But that's what happens when we allow our circumstances to be perceived through the eyes of our emotions. It's not as clear as what it should be. So they're not in the right place. They're headed in the wrong direction. They're they're headed aimlessly down the wrong road, and they're totally lost in darkness. So much so that they can't even recognize who is in their midst. They cannot even recognize Jesus, and he's right there beside them. Talk about mission drift. And and then totally in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus calls them out uh, firmly, but lovingly, Verses 25 and 20 through 27. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. O foolish ones. Can't you, can't you just hear that? O foolish ones. It's, it's like, O Martha, Martha. Or, oh, ye of little faith. Or, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. He's not angry. It doesn't even seem like he's harsh. But he's definitely firm and to the point. And ultimately, I believe that that's how we have to approach our own situation if we have experienced mission drift. We have to be firm and see things for what they really are. Now, Why does Jesus call them foolish? Because they should have known. They had heard, they had witnessed, they had been taught, but they had forgotten. And again, believe me, I I know. I know what that's like. I have forgotten. It happens. What had they forgotten? Well, they had forgotten what God had promised them. Okay. Now, Jesus lived by a three-word mantra that should have been clear to anybody who followed him, who, who watched him model life. Jesus practiced this particular three-word mantra early and often in his ministry. 
What is the mantra? The mantra is, it is written. It is written. There in verse 27, we were told that beginning with Moses and the prophets, all the things that had been written, God's word for them, the Old Testament, Jesus then interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So if you want to be real, if you want to be firm, if you want to stop mission drift in your faith, you have to also learn that mantra. It is written. It is written. Jesus used that mantra three times when Satan tried to trip him up in the wilderness right before the start of Jesus's ministry. Jesus used this mantra when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, to the synagogue there, and read from the scroll and announced who he was and his ministry. He quoted this mantra, mantra uh, through, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and he even spoke this mantra while he was dying on the cross. It is written, it is written, it is written. That's where he based his entire life purpose on it is written. So if you're experiencing mission drift in your faith journey right now, I wonder if you need to go back to the manual, get your nose in the manual, and know what is written so that you can, like Jesus say, it is written. See, these guys should have known. They would have known what God had promised. They would have been taught that. But somehow they, they had forgotten. They not connected the dots. So Jesus says, listen, guys, go back. Go back. Get your nose in the manual. Go back and learn what you're supposed to learn. Open your eyes and rediscover what is written. And then, by the way, he did this for the disciples as well. If you drop down to verse 45, it says that when Jesus appeared to the twelve, he also opened their minds to understand what? The scriptures. Not he, he doesn't necessarily just focus in on the present. He says, listen, the present has been defined by what is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Those words will make a huge difference in protecting you from mission drift. And to bring things back into focus once your mind gets fuzzy, once your spiritual eyes are darkened. When we can bring ourselves and our habits, when we can bring the way that we treat other people, when we can bring our circumstances, when we can even bring our doctrine and hold them up to the standard of God's word, being relentless of rejecting anything that does not stand up to the light of Scripture, no matter how profitable it might seem to the world, that's when you can get back on track with the original mission that Jesus gave to those who are saved. So it's about staying connected to God's word. But there's something more. Remember back in verse 16, Luke tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. I think that's actually the whole key to mission drift. I, I think that's the whole key. Because Jesus is right there. They cannot see him until. Well, that's the amazing part. I, I'm going to finish up this portion of scripture. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, No, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with him. And while he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? When their eyes had been blinded, when their mind had been darkened, when their joy had been lost, when their path had become purposeless, the one thing that put everything back into focus was communion 
with Jesus. Even understanding the it is written part came about where their eyes were opened and they had communion with Jesus. This is one of the reasons that we choose to celebrate communion every week here at Powell Butte Christian Church. Because those emblems are a powerful reminder of the power of staying connected with Jesus. To to be connected to his death and resurrection. To, to be connected to the love of God that was shown there at Calvary. So that we can now get back to God. But when I talk about communion, I'm not just talking about the little bread and the, the little cup of juice. Um, and I'm not just talking about the breaking of bread, uh, the actual supper there with the, these two dis- disciples at Emmaus. I mean, it's an ongoing connection with Jesus, an intimate connection with Jesus, communing with him each and every moment of our week, not just on Sunday mornings for a five-minute time. See, when that connection with Jesus defines your life, then mission drift can't ever happen. It will never take over. Yeah, you'll still have to protect yourself from it, but if you can stay connected with Jesus on a moment-by-moment basis, you will not drift from the mission. You will always be reminded of the purpose that God left you here for. And that's exactly what happens with these two disciples. As soon as they commune with Jesus, their eyes are open. And what do they do? Well, verse 33 and 34 says, They rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So do you see? Do you see? It's the mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom of God, just like Jesus had told them at the very beginning. But, it's again, it's not put back into focus until they commune with Jesus again. When they see the bread broken as was done in the upper room, when Jesus had shared his heart with his followers and gave them a promise of power so that they could turn the world upside down. So what happened to these guys? We don't know. But I would imagine that it's pretty pretty uh, sure uh, that uh, they would have been among those who in uh, Luke part 2, which is the book of Acts, uh, would be waiting there in an upper room for 10 days, waiting for God's guidance and power. And that would happen on the day of Pentecost. I, I believe that they were there at Pentecost. I also believe that these men would have uh, lived through one of the most powerful and victorious times in the life of the church, where it was so real. They had the strength to endure persecution. They had the courage to proclaim the truth. And that was all direct results of keeping in the word, it is written, and keeping communion with Jesus. So if we, you you and I, want to experience that same strength and courage, if we desire to stay true to the mission that Jesus has called us to, which, which includes both evangelism, telling people the good news, and also being the hands and feet of Jesus and showing God's love in practical ways to people who are in need, by the way, we, then we cannot, we cannot have our focus on our own agendas, our own preferences, our own plans, our own piano bench. We must stay in communion with the Son of God because then our eyes will be open and our focus will remain true on what it's supposed to be on. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge the Lord, and he will make your path straight. Folks, that sure sounds like victory over mission drift to me. Now, one of the best quotes from the book 
is this. In its simplest form, Mission True organizations, the ones who guard against Mission Drift, by the way, that's what Mission True organizations are. In its simplest form, Mission True organizations know why they exist, and they protect the core at all costs. They remain faithful to what they believe God has entrusted them to do. They define what is unchangeable, their values, their purposes, their DNA, their heart, their soul. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, we submit our lives to him. But uh, And that, by the way, that submission begins in the waters of baptism. I, I cannot think of a more submissive act than have somebody immerse you under water. Okay? But this mission doesn't just stop at your baptism. It, it, it continues as the Holy Spirit moves in and begins to work in us and, and produce fruit in us, making us more and more like Jesus. In other words, when we submit our lives to him, we are given a purpose, a, a purpose to, again, teach the good news of God's kingdom to this world and then to live like people of God, showing compassion and standing up for truth. I believe that it's when we forget all of those things in our purpose. That's when things like piano benches become more important than people or more important than God's kingdom, more important than the Great Commission. It's when that happens that our focus gets fuzzy and mission drift sets in. So we as a church and as individual believers, we desire to be a mission true church. But in order to make that happen, it's got to be about staying grounded in it is written, and it must be sustained through intimate communion with Jesus. All right. Well, that's the uh, that's the message for this week. We're um, what, one more week in the book of Luke, and then we are going to be looking at some Psalms. So thank you, Lisa Welly, for putting this uh, podcast together. Thank you, uh, Steve Pittman, for being our tech guru, guru here at the church. And thank you. Uh, podcast listeners for uh, tuning in each week. I uh, would love to uh, hear from you at any time. If you have questions or concerns or, or comments, uh, you can always shoot me an email at Trey, T-R-E-Y dot P-B-C-C. That's Powell Butte Christian Church, Trey dot P-B-C-C at gmail.com. All right. God bless you. We'll talk to you next week.